Hey, bitch talkers, we're flashing back to March 22nd, feels like eons ago, to an event that Ange and I hosted online for We Excel, a local nonprofit that we were just introduced to a few months ago and that we instantly loved. You're going to hear a conversation uh, with this badass woman. Her name's Chiquita Banks. She is in the position of helping to fund films and finance films, mostly, I would say, independent uh, down in L.A., and she just has facts on facts on facts about how to do this, um, how to how to start looking for film financing, um, and also just about education about film financing. Um, if you are a budding director, uh, filmmaker, whatever, or even just like you know a PA that wants to make a your own film, I think this conversation. Uh, is really timely for you. And we love Chiquita and we love We Excel. And also the reason why we're putting this up is because We Excel is having an event next Thursday, May 19th in San Francisco at 111 Mina. We're going to be there having a good time, raising funds for a great cause. We Excel, um, they raise the stakes on really funding creators of all types. And that's the kind of thing that we're really into. And we're so excited that we're partnering with them to help them promote this event. So you can go to our Instagram page and find a link to the event in our bio. And please enjoy this conversation. It's pretty lively. And Chiquita's just, I don't know, I think she'll be in our lives forever. I hope so. And I'm excited to see everybody face to face. So please come join, hang out with us, come say hi and support a great cause. Yeah. And I also want to add, Tickets are very accessible. It's not like, you know, a $100 ticket. I think the lowest is around 25 bucks. You can come, you know, bring a mask, hang out, um, and feel like it's the old times, but in the new times. <laughs> with your old bitches. Yeah, with the old bitches. So enjoy <laughs> our conversation. Again, it's Chiquita Banks and us chatting about film financing uh, with WeXL. Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear... Rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. I promise you're going to get so much insight from this conversation. If you don't know me, I'm Arabella DeLuco. I'm the founder and CEO of WeXL. And WeXL is a nonprofit based here in San Francisco. And uh, what we do, sorry, L.A., (laughs) We still love you. We still love you. And so we actually have this new, like, rebrand, repositioning recently. And we realized that our vision is actually not storytelling to create an equitable world. Yes, we do storytelling, but it's only one part of what we do. We are actually creators for an equitable world because we are creating an equitable world through so many different kinds of talent. And our mission is to empower diverse creators so that together we excel in building a more equitable world through creativity, 
compassion, and innovation. So I'm so happy to have these ladies spearhead what creators for an equitable world looks like. So take it away, bitch talk, and hello, Chiquita. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. What an intro. We're very excited. We're so happy to have you and and to be a part of this event. Thank you so much. We excel. You're a film financing attorney. You're also the president of the Black Entertainment and Sports Lawyer Association. Besla, Mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. Besla, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. No worries. That's okay. You're family now. Not like Tesla. Not like Tesla. (laughs) (laughs) Boo. Um, So we first... Us as Bitch Talk, when we have guests on and we really want to get into it, we like to get a little bit of an origin story. So if you can, with our audience and with us, can you give us your origin story, however much you want to give, however little you want to give, but can you just fold us into your life a little bit? Yeah. So I feel like a Marvel superhero, my origin story, like where are we going to come from? You know what? I'm just going to be honest. I am a text nerd. I am a geeky nerd. Like I remember in law school, I was a text accountant before law school and I went to law school and I was like, I'm going to do some fun law. Right. I did well in my class, but I hated litigation. I tried clerking for a Supreme court justice. I tried all of these things. And probably at the end of my second year, I said, you're supposed to know what you want to do with your life in your second year. I said, I'm just going to take this tax class because it'll be easy. And it was maybe 10 people in the class. And I knew it, you know, and I realized I really get it. And nobody else does. Like, it's a niche that I love, I understand. And you don't see a lot of minority women in this niche. Mm -hmm. So the more I stuck with it and I took the classes and I realized I had those skills, I decided to just stay. And let me tell you, it was probably one of the best things I've ever done. Honestly, I graduated in 2009 from law school in Atlanta, Georgia State College of Law. And that was one of those stars aligned, perfect timing. So I came out of law school loving tax already, knowing tax already, and then being interested in it. And I was hired by a firm that needed someone to read these new regulations and advise film studios. So the Disney's, the AMC, one of my biggest projects was The Walking Dead. That shit scared me, you know, but it was one of the best projects to start off on, right? Because it was a homegrown Atlanta project. They took over a big city outside of Atlanta. The entire town became like Zombieville. You got the opportunity as somebody who's never worked in the film industry. I don't think I really understood like the intricacies of makeup. So going onto set and seeing like zombies and like, you know, eyes falling out, it was just, it was super trippy for me. And it was amazing. And seeing how sets were built and the amount of timber and lumber and wood it takes, like it was a great time to start in the industry and really get thrown into the deep end, which is helping to administer tax credits serving as an auditor. And quite honestly, it was at the time where all of the big studios wanted to come down to Georgia and they needed people in their corner who understood. So it was the stars aligned. I had that background. I had an interest in something that nobody else wanted to do. I thought it was going to be boring, but I'm like the coolest tax attorney that I know. (laughs) 
because I work internationally and globally on these film productions. I work on productions in Australia, New Zealand. I can down to the minutia just all across the United States, all of those jurisdictions in Canada. So I really kind of jumped around some, starting off at an auditing firm, moving to New York with Viacom. Then eventually I moved to Disney and Los Angeles, and I just left Disney at the top of this year. So yeah, that's my origin story. Like my own little tax superhero, saving every dollar I can. <laughs> Wow. Chiquita, drop the mic. I mean, what else is that? That was just incredible. Thank you. What I love about your story is you really, I, I feel like people worry too much about the future. Like, oh, what, what are going to be my next 10 steps instead of focusing on what am I doing right now? Because it sounds like you really did what was right for you in this moment. And when you're doing that, the universe just sort of takes care of the rest. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I am like the craziest planner and over planner, there's no way in which I could have seen all of these things happening, right? I just knew in law school, this was something I got. And I think I understood the importance of working with something that I knew I liked and that I was good at, and understanding that there weren't a lot of people that looked like me. So, you know, when they give out scholarships to law students and grants, you see a lot for litigators, or you see a lot for entertainment attorneys, or for specific niches. And I'm just a nerdy accounting girl, you know, I mean, I, I can talk, I like to have a good time. So I knew that I needed to stick with that. And you're right, the universe took care of me and I came out during a time and I was just smart enough to go after certain things, right? You have to kind of read the room. Mm. I came out in 2009 when it was a recession and everybody was affected by that. You know, people that I graduated with were going up against other individuals that had been in the industries for 10 and 15 years. So, you know, I really tried to read the room and say, what's hot right now? What are people interested in? And it happened to be tax, something I'm good at. So you're <laughs> right. You got to trust and believe and the universe shows up more often than not. And speaking of the universe, mm -hmm. speaking to you, you're mm -hmm. at Disney. I was. And you, and you were and you were like, I want something more for my life and I'm yep. going to leave. Can yep. you talk about that decision making? It's an amazing company. They've done some great things right. I love my Disney colleagues. Like it's a family. But I will tell you during the a lot of the racial reckoning in the country in the past couple of years, you know, a lot of what's happening today, right now with the company and LGBTQIA mm -hmm. today. and today, the walkout, literally, you know, I had literally. that I was texting, you know, I'm with you. People who were working from home drove to the studio lot or drove up to the park so that they could walk out with their friends and their loved ones. So I feel like um, that in order to, and I've always felt this way because I've always been a little bit of a rebel and just interested in making sure the people that look like me and us have a seat at the table and a voice. And just because they didn't do things exactly the way I did them or the, exactly the way someone else did, I don't think that should take away their ability to speak or to have a voice. And so um, looking at the company, I really felt and was disappointed in a lot of the responses around, you know, the murder of George Floyd. I was really disappointed at the fact that I got to the top of the top and I felt like I was taken for granted a lot. And my 
opinions and views just weren't, you know, appreciated. As a black woman, as a tax attorney, as someone who went to a historically black college and university, and I think that the company has made some headway, but there's just so much more to go. And the more I thought about it, I would have to stay at the company for another 20 to 30 years to affect the kind of change that I think I could do on the outside. And so um, I've always been interested in film finance outside of tax credits because that's one piece of the finance pie. I felt like in order to affect change and learn about, you know, how can I get more content of color on the screens, I needed to step outside and go to another company. And now I'm at TPC, formerly Three Point Capital. I'm senior vice president. I work primarily to help the company's advisory business, which is a fancy way of saying I do tax consulting. We also lend against tax credits and incentives globally. So we've done projects in the United Kingdom, Colombia, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, not to mention all across the states, Canada. So if you have a project and you have most of your equity financed, you have some pre-sales, you have this distribution agreement, you still need kind of some gap financing, some additional financing, and you know you're getting a tax credit or an incentive, you can call my company. We're kind of across the board in the gamut finance for all film and television productions. So I love what I do. I love it. I love talking to different producers. I love um, learning about content, things that I didn't always get to do. You know, being on this side of the house really helps me to push stories that you wouldn't necessarily see on a Disney or a Marvel um, mm. or a Lucas or at Viacom, you know? So yeah, I've been really fortunate. I really, really have. And I work with people that I absolutely fucking adore. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And it really ties in with y- y- your story and your, and your leap of faith, leaving Disney, which wasn't necessarily the most fiscally responsible thing for you to do maybe is very similar to that of an independent filmmaker who is like, I'm, I'm really passionate about this project. I have these naysayers, but this is really what I need to do. So can you talk about just some challenges that you faced within yourself or within your community and making this decision? I'm sure there were people like Chiquita, what are you doing? Are you sure? (laughs) And also just, some examples of the kinds of change that you're able to make within TCP that you would never have been able to with Disney? Yeah, that's an amazing question. It's a couple of things. I have an 11 year old niece and, you know, Disney employees get into the parks and she's my dependent. So, you know, she can like almost walk up to the parks just like me. And, you know, she's also really fiscally responsible, especially when it comes to spending her money. So I think the last time we went to the park, she's like, wow, if we had to pay for this, you know, it would be a hundred for you and a hundred, a hundred, you know, and we got this discount. So she's very disappointed in me leaving. Because of that. <laughs> oh, no. um, and again, it's the notion of being at a a worldwide brand and name. So people just did not understand why I would go from, you know, this behemoth of a company to a company that has about a hundred employees and have offices and, you know, two or three offices in different states. But I get to do stuff like this with you guys, right? I get to be my real self. When I was at Disney, I would have to ask my boss. She would ask her, her boss. Her boss would then send it up 
to legal. Legal would come back in three to five days. By that, by then, I would probably have missed the opportunity. You all would have been like, we found somebody else, girl. Somebody else to talk. <laughs> like, we good on you. That's one thing. It's just so much flexibility and autonomy. You know, again, I love Disney. I had some great time there, but it's a very rigid environment. I mean, it's a very rigid environment. I'm at TTC. Everybody wakes up. They're excited about the lending business. They are excited about the brokerage business. Everybody wakes up trying to make things get it right. Have fun. They want me to be out and talking a bitch talk and participating <laughs> in WeExcel and finding the next content creators and making these relationships and going to, you know, meet up with potential clients at the Grammys. That's something that the company is excited for. At Disney, it's like, you're just not going to get that. So, yeah, it's it's been, it's these past three months have been completely eye-opening. And I just feel like I'm able to fully be myself at TPC. And I wasn't always able to bring my full self to work at Disney. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. Yeah. I We have a question about your career and being in the business you know, as long as you have and seeing some things yeah. and knowing the last few years have been pushing the envelope for BIPOC communities and women and yeah. LGBTQ yeah. Um, communities. Yeah. What have you seen throughout your career? Just mm. is there a movement? Is this real? Are we are, are we seeing what's possible at this point? Yeah, damn right. It's real. It's 100% real. I think and I've had some amazing conversations. I'll tell you about this one executive at Disney. And he, he just got it. We were preparing for this mentoring session with some HBCU students. And, you know, he kind of took me to the side on zoom and said, you know, so Shakita, I'm just wondering, is it okay for me as a white man to mentor you know, a black woman or a black man? Do they even want me to mentor them? Or should we be getting 20 more of you in this room to serve as the mentors? He's like, I really don't want to offend. And I was like, to me, that's a breakthrough. Like, that's amazing. One, he was comfortable enough to ask the question, not in front of the whole group, but at least comfortable enough to take me to the side, right? And ask the question. And then he was comfortable enough to put that out there and to see like to say, what can I do to make this right for someone else? That wouldn't have happened five years ago. One, we wouldn't have had the mentoring session. Two, I wouldn't have been invited to it. Or three, it would have only been other Shakitas in the room. There would not have been any of him. And he wouldn't have been leading and pushing and willing to go out of his way. So that just shows to me that those in power are listening and trying that was like amazing to me. And, you know, that just makes me think I owe Jim McCall because he was just very intent on getting it right and not being offensive and willing to step on his own foot before he stepped on somebody else's foot. And I had to tell him, hell yeah, you can mentor. Just like you're talking to me, these students, you know, they want that. They're looking for it. So you just never know. If you look at people and talk to them like they're human, You have no clue the connections you might have. And so to me, it's definitely a movement. You know, I've seen some people that I never thought would, you know, older white men come out and just say, I want to do a better job. Tell me what it is, how I need to say things. I want to ask some questions. Please, I may not say the right thing, but, you know, give me the credit for asking. And 
having some very honest and open conversations. You know, I've been in companies where DHOC was the policy, direct, honest, and open communication. And it was a lie. Like the doors <laughs> were never open. You were never honest, you know, and there was no communication. Like that's just paper. I think the companies are trying to do a better job of taking the things that they wrote down all these years ago and it sounded cute because HR said, let's do that and actually put it into action. And because of that, I'm seeing more women in power. I'm seeing more women speak up in rooms. I'm seeing more people of color just say, this is how I feel. I haven't been able to be myself. I now want to be myself. You're seeing more different types of um, niche communities raise their hand and say, you've forgotten about us for so long. I feel like, yes, the movement is real. It's still slow. It's slow. It's slow. And, but it takes more of these conversations and more people listening to them and more of us that are just willing to be honest. Yeah, Chiquita, uh, I have another question, but first I want to ask, what is this man's name and is he single? Because... <laughs> There's not enough, but but also from coming from the other side of the aisle on the entertainment industry, streaming has taken over. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how streaming and YouTube has changed the industry and really what what it's taught us about what we actually want to watch. I love this question. You know why? Because I'm not sure if it's taught us about what we want to watch. I think it's taught the industries and the streamers that they can't assume that they always know what we wanted to watch. So once COVID-19 and the pandemic shut down production as we knew it for a year, right? Things just kind of went dry. The streamers realized really quickly that they would not have any content, any new content to put. They had folks at home, they needed to feed this beast. We're all sitting at home and we're either working from home or most of us were also just watching Netflix and Amazon and Hulu all day. There just wasn't enough on the broadcast channels, right? So there's this lack of content and they said, we need content that is already produced. We need content that quite honestly, we think people will be interested in. Where can we go to get this content? Because, you know, what's coming for the next year is no longer coming for the next year, but we need it now. And is ready to watch. She wants to binge watch something now. So streamers did some great things. And I think, again, it took people like us being in the room to say, hey, have you, have you looked at Nigeria? Have you looked at Bollywood? Have you looked at Nollywood, you know, that comes out of Nigeria? They shoot millions of hours of film and television programs with $100 budgets that looked extremely polished, you know, or that they shot in only a couple of locations, but they did amazing with their post-production and editing and sound. So you can understand what's going on. Like they, with very little government assistance, regulation, quite honestly, Nollywood has this billion dollar industry of television and film projects and it was virtually untapped until about five years ago and even more so two years ago because of the pandemic so streamers like amazon and netflix hulu said listen we need this product this content 
some of us that were in the room said, why don't you try here? Or why don't you go out to some of our Asian affiliates? And let's go out and find out whether or not they have some things. You know, you started to see a lot of British content come over and a lot of American content that went over to Britain. So Great Britain, because, you know, things that we would not have normally seen. And I think that really that really opened up the eye because once people start watching that, these streamers say, well, wait a minute. If we didn't have this, they would have never seen this. And now we know that there's this niche market. There's Shakita, who is a huge Nigerian film lover, right? There are these movies that, you know, may have gotten best foreign language film. You saw more people reading things with subtitles. You know, look mm-hmm. at Squid Games. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. just all types of things that lazy Americans may not have watched before. They were interested in watching now because there was a lack of the content. So I think that that is going to absolutely continue to change the world for the better, because there's no way now that people can say there's no, there's no market for content of color, either in America or outside of America. They also can't say, you know, oh, well, those projects are the more expensive ones to make. And now we're seeing a lot of sharing of content and data. We're seeing more seasons of these things because Mm -hmm. now they're honing in and starting to teach these young producers, these young hungry producers who just want to get here and get to Hollywood from Nollywood. So I think that there's just been this huge infusion, right? of producers and of ideas, of an opening of minds. And we're excited to push content of color. We're excited to do that. I will tell you, my boss, Dave Gendron, who's my friend, I shouldn't just say my boss, but he told me, Shakita, I want you to do your best to make this a more diverse world. Like help me help everybody else. Do let's do this together. And he means it. Like he doesn't just say that kind of stuff. So I'm just really excited because I know that this huge infusion of what's happened, I mean, it took a damn global pandemic for us to realize yep. it. It took us all having to stay home and chin check and gut check ourselves. It took racial reckoning and the murder of a black man for us all to experience for eight minutes and 50 seconds, you know, him saying he can't breathe and dying. It took all of these things for people to sit down and realize that some shit had to change. This goes into when we talk about the people in the room. This also goes to audiences and demos. We had a great chat about this beforehand, but I will bring up a couple of things where I'm like, they probably should have demoed this or like talked to a not demoed, but they should have talked to a a specific demo or audience before they even shot this film. And I will bring this up because we're going to go into Oscars this weekend. Licorice Pizza should have had an audience <laughs> specifically Asian Americans yep. to talk yep. about some of the scenes in the film and they yep. fucking didn't excuse yep. me sorry man I'm pissed about it so I want to talk about audiences and how yeah. these filmmakers should maybe talk to audiences prior to start to their start of filmmaking yeah I, I love this because I think that this is something that Disney really did right and tried to do right so nobody gets it right all the time but the 2019 remake of Aladdin. So going back, you know, a lot of people don't realize that aren't, you know, older like me, that Aladdin was a remake, a live action remake from 1990 
2 film that was the highest grossing film, animated film of the entire year, of all movies. So by all intents and purposes, it was a blockbuster for the company. But critics were like, this is the most culturally insensitive movie that we've seen in a long time. You know, all of the character and the townspeople are refugees and all poor. And they had these exaggerated features. And Jasmine and Aladdin looked like white teenagers that had a tan, right? Yep. And, you know, Jasmine had on a little top. And it's like, well, actually, in most Arab nations, they don't really show their belly like that. So it was just really culturally insensitive. And even there were a couple of instances where, you know, use of Arabic language and symbols were wrong, you know, like it was the wrong word because they didn't maybe really have somebody that actually knew the language. So the company really endeavored this time around to seek out assistance, which I think is smart. But again, that also takes you having the right diversity, equity, and inclusion people in the room and asking their opinion and then listening to their opinion. So for example, they went out to the, I believe it was the Muslim Public Affairs Group, which is the LA Advocacy Group, to ask questions about, you know, the Arabic language to make sure that the subtitles were correct. When it was shot in Jordan, you know, they uh, worked with the film commission on a regular basis to make sure that the names were pronounced correctly, that they weren't offensive, that they weren't working there. You know how film crews are. They work from sun up to sundown, but that's not going to work in an Arabic country, right? There's certain times when people need to be off to pray. So doing all of these different things to make sure that they understood the customs of the land, the customs as they pertain to the movie, asking for help. People will help you if you ask. And so I think the Walt Disney Company with this really tried to go out to certain focus groups to ask these questions ahead of time and trying to use their resources and ask for help so that they don't get in so much trouble on the back end. To me, that's smart business, but I think it's also an effort to just not be jerks. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Real. Sounds simple, but <laughs> if, only, if only it was that simple. If only it was that simple. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So we've talked about the state of TV and film today. We've talked about finding an audience and tapping into that audience. Now let's talk about getting these damn things made. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you guys, I think that we have some amazing stories. I think that we have some great creatives, especially folks of color that understand how to write a story. But where they miss out on is understanding the importance of knowing the business of film and television. They miss out on, you know, when they're in film school, nobody wants to take the production accounting class. That's the boring <laughs> class. That's the one you need because you can have, you know, all types of great stories. But if you don't have any money to make these projects, if you don't have, you know, a backer who knows what a foreign sales agent is, you're not going to be able to get these projects made. So it generally starts off with, you know, either a producer or a director who wants to get with, who has this story, and they get with um, a financial producer or someone who's either an EP who helps to raise funds. You know, you're seeing nowadays so much more people using the Kickstarters, all of the crowdfunding sources to get their dollars and cents. I will encourage folks to do that. I'm not saying it's bad. I think that's amazing. I give to them all the time. But make sure 
you are getting sometimes an attorney to help you with that, especially if you're trying to raise millions of dollars and not just, you know, a few hundred dollars, because you want to make sure that you're not issuing securities. I'm going to scare some folks here, but just remember, you don't <laughs> want to issue securities. So you get and you look at kind of your structure. It's several different structures that people have. Is it, you know, an all equity project? I love that. We raised $2 million and the project costs $2 million. You know, we're trying to do that for one of the We Excel projects. We'd love to 100% lend, you know, have all of the funds raised and donated for this project so we can go forward and make this short story about Kyrie Battle. But, you know, realistically, that might not happen. <laughs> we may not be able to raise all of those funds. So what else do we do? We can either take out a loan and get debt financing from a bank, or we can go to a state where we shoot this story and we can get a tax incentive, which is just monies and cents set aside by a government to help economically develop and encourage people to film in their state. So they're saying, come to California, please hire Aaron, please hire Angela. They are amazing. They could do your PR. And if you pay them because they are California residents, I will give you an incentive for hiring them and paying them or come and hire Imani because she does amazing makeup and is a stylist and she's going to help you get Shakita because she's a great casting agent or accountant. That's what these incentives are for. It could be a grant where they just give you the money or actual credit like, you know, we get earned income tax credits or student interest paid tax credits. If you don't have some of your own money, you got to have your own skin in the game as well, too. So Everyone who's writing, you know, save up for your film. Save, put some funds to the side. People will want to know that you're willing to lose your own money as well on the project. When we're sitting at the table talking about our, on our production calls, on our lending deal calls, one of the biggest questions is when we're considering a client is how much equity do they have? Who else is part of the deal? And then we see a lot of people nowadays that are making their film using that and then selling it to streamers because we know the streamers and oftentimes, quite honestly, if you want to do a made for TV movie, you know, you'll see a broadcast network purchase them as well, too. They these days go to the film festival South by Southwest. They are arguing with the streamers as well, too, to get funding to, to buy these projects. So and then you just sell your project. Get some money and go make another one. Go make one that costs a few more dollars more and hire some more Angela Shikini, Imani, Arabella, Dreas. Like, that's <laughs> what we want to see. <laughs> so a realistic budget, in your eyes, is something that would sell to an investor or a studio. Yeah, I think that realistically, I mean, there's a lot of projects that, you know, go straight to Redbox or they go and they're purchased by, you know, who or they're made for they're made in the United States, but they're made for consumption outside of the United States where, you know, so, yeah, I, I think that quite honestly, even if you make it on spec, which means you're making it and you don't know where it'll be distributed at the end of the day, even if you're making it on spec you are still looking for the highest bidder. So you've talked about tax credits. You've talked about it, it, having your own skin in the game. You need to have a little fun to show that you're willing to lose some money, having yeah. a producer that can fund as well. But we have some mm -hmm. people here in the audience that are asking for a little more. If you have any more advice for a, one for a filmmaker 
with a based on a true story feature that's trying to raise funds to tell it. Um, someone else just wants to know more, more ideas on specific fundraising for indies. Uh, they have a project that's worth funding or even grants, grants that yeah. you can advise on how to find the right grant because there's a million of them. Yeah, that one is a hard one. The grant one, I'm not even going to pretend like I know where to find the right grants. I know some folks that I can ask. And so if you, you know, shoot me a DM at the real tax attorney, R-E-E-L, film tax attorney, (laughs) um, on across all socials. So shoot me a DM um, and I can follow up on the grant question. So I don't want to talk about something that I know I can't do anything with. But honestly, I've seen a lot of my indie filmmakers do amazingly well on Kickstarter and crowdfunding type projects. I have, there's about three projects right now that got majority of their equity from these crowdfunding, different crowdfunding projects um, and fundraisers. It's been amazing for people. You know, I give to them all the time because think about it as just a regular old consumer and individual, you get excited because you get to say, I help this project go forth. I have this really good guy friend that has this short. It is like amazing. And especially knowing I lost my dad five years ago and my niece lost her grandfather. And he was really the most important man in her life. And um, my friend made this short about this little boy who lost his dad and started working on, as a way of getting through the grief, a spaceship with his best girlfriend. And I think he's like nine to rocket off into space because he wants to go find his dad. And this is like an amazing short. And it's something that I can see helping children that are coping with grief, right? Because that's what stories are. There are ways in which to help us deal with things in life or to escape from life or to understand life or to just laugh at life. Like, (laughs) this shit is really funny, you know? So I recall thinking, gosh, there is, you know, he and he and I talked about this. He was like, you know, this could be something that I should put together for schools. He said this could this short could be shown to kids in schools. You know, it's all P it's all PG or even G rated. It's about this little boy, you know, he's hammering away and he's so cute. And and he ended up getting a grant associated with showing the project in schools and showing the project to students, the short, to students that that have been dealing with grief and are having a hard time dealing with grief. So oftentimes, if, you know, for the grant person, if you are talking about a particular thing, you can, you know, let's say it's about heart disease, you know, you may be able to reach out to the AMA and talk to the AMA and see if they have grants to help with that. Or it's something that they may want to fund because they may want to turn it into a PSA type of a project. I've seen that happen as well, too. So it's all about thinking creatively, you know, and it's about you really got to be on your hustle. You have to be out there talking to people all the time. If you have a project, don't give it all away. I want you to do that. I'm not saying that. But, you know, if this is your passion project, you know, even it takes the big guy sometimes. 20 years to make their passion project. Michael Mann is trying to work on Ferrari right now um, and shoot that in Italy. That's his passion project. It's been his passion project for years and nobody wanted to fund that. So he's having to put, you know, millions of dollars of his own funds into it. 
and still is getting met with, you know, criticism. So it is really about continuing to hustle, looking for creative ways, doing crowdfunding, talking to people, continuing to learn, like do not stop learning. You you hone in on that craft, but you still learn the other pieces too. You still need to know what a PA does. You still need to know where craft services is because that's important. But you still want to be nice to your makeup artist. You never know when you're going to see these people again, who they're connected to, who's in the room with you, who's listening. Timothy asks, hello, what if we have something good in the can already? What do you recommend the approach from there? Oh, something good in the can. So Timothy, I'm assuming we're saying in the can because that means you have maybe a project that a distributor is interested in. I don't really know what in the can means, but let's pretend that that's it. You know, you know that there is a market for your project. You know that the story is a story that could be made because you've already talked to someone just from the concept. If that's what we're saying is in the can, that's when you can come and turn around and uh, you can get a loan from my company based upon your distribution agreement. So let's say, you know, you have this project and you're about to sell it to Netflix and Netflix is going to pay you $100,000 for the next three years. But you want that $100,000 now because you want to use it for post-production or you want to use it for another project or something else. You bring us your distribution agreement. We kick the tires on the distribution agreement because we're the finance accounting nerds that we are. And we kick the tires on it and we say, you know what? This is a good agreement. He made this agreement with Drea. Drea pays all of the funds, but Drea just pays really slowly. (laughs) So we will lend to you, Timothy, a portion of the distribution agreement and the funds you're supposed to get. Um, today and then we get those funds in the next three years or if you come into some funds because you sell another project and you want to pay us off early then we're happy with that we'll take the early payoff you know that lowers your interest rate so if you have something in the hopper or you have um, either some equity behind you or and you're just looking for other kind of gap financing or you know you have a project that will be picked up and you have some documented information, that's an asset in your hand. That is how you can use that to get money and take that project to get funds for that project. So it sounds like you have an asset to me. What kind of interest rates, bruh? Come on now. You put me on the spot. I can't do this. That's a question for the DM. Yeah, my boss might be on here. You ain't doing that to me. I just got this job. Tim, come on. My mama in the audience, like, she needs to eat, bruh. You can't be doing me like that. That was a test. I think your boss is undercover as Timothy. Okay, that, that was his <laughs> Timothy, right. He's getting a raise. Timothy, right. Well, I think I passed that test. I'm going in office tomorrow, so. <laughs> so, so. So we do have to wrap, but I think we have one final question. That's a good question to wrap on. Imani's okay. asking, is there any community that we think that you think we need to see more of on film? What are you excited I think- about? And I hope this does not offend people in the audience because we need all of our allies. I think we need to see as many people of color as possible. I think we need to see more people of color mixing with each other, hanging out with each other. You know, I live in a, on a block that is primarily African-American and Mexican-American. And I'm not saying Hispanic-American. I really mean their ancestors are from Mexico. 
know. I would love to see more Arabic Americans or just not even Arabic Americans. I would learn to love to learn more about the Muslim country, excuse me, community. We just got to make space and room for each other. Thank you so much. That's a perfect place to end. We've been speaking to film financing attorney, tax nerd, extraordinaire, Esquire, Chiquita, Chiquita Banks. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to WeXL for allowing Bitch Talk to be part of this conversation and for allowing us to come together, hold hands, lift each other up and affect change. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions. 